to the Indian Creek Baptist Church podcast. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. Our website is www.indiancreekbaptistchurch.org or our email address is info at indiancreekbaptistchurch.org. It is our sincere hope that through this podcast, God will speak to your heart and touch your life so that you may grow closer to him. Yep, today back in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 11, we are cruising through the book of Judges. Um, we started in Judges back in May, and so we're eight, almost nine months in, and we're going to pick up in Judges chapter 11. We've been walking with the children of Israel and seeing <clears throat> them... Uh, Seeing their plight as they begin to serve God and fall away from God and walking through that sin cycle with them. Last week, uh, God himself came and spoke to the children of Israel and reminded them uh, of all the things that he's done for them. He reminded them that even after he's done all these great and wonderful things for them, including um, defeating the children of Ammon and, and the children of um, <clears throat> the Philistines that are now... Uh, harassing them. He's already defeated them once, um, but after he's done all these great and wonderful things, they've continued to turn back and turn away from him and serve the gods of those that are around them. Um, we also saw that as God was speaking to them, we saw a picture of what it is to get saved. We saw the beginnings of repentance in Israel as they, they understood their sinful nature. They turned back and repented and, and, and began to serve God again. And we saw what that did to God. <clears throat> God, it tells us in verse number 16 that the children of Israel put away the strange gods from among them and served the Lord, and his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. We see again here, as we've seen in the book of Jonah, as we've seen in uh, the book of Ruth and, and many other passages that we've studied, we've seen that repentance and, and true desire to turn back to God softens God's heart and causes him to have mercy and grace. And even though God left off with saying that he would not serve or that he would not deliver Israel, he is now um, going, we're going to, as we enter chapter 11, we're going to meet Jephthah and we're going to meet the next deliverer, the man that has already been raised up and um, has already been being prepared to be the next judge over Israel because God in his grace and mercy is going to provide for Israel and he loves them and cares for them just like he loves us and cares for us. So when we left off, the children of Ammon and the Philistines had gathered together their armies and were encamped and then the children of Israel were gathering together and preparing for battle without a leader. They had put feet to their faith, to their repentance, to their turning and serving God, and they're getting ready to go and battle against Israel, and are going to battle against Ammon and the Philistines, uh, even though they have no idea what God is going to do. So we're going to pick up in Judges chapter 11. The Bible says, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, and he was the son of an harlot, and Gilead begat Jephthah. And Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his wife's sons grew up, and they thrust out Jephthah, and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit in our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. 
And Jephthah fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of Tob. And there were gathered vain men to Jephthah and went out with him. And it came to pass in process of time that the children of Ammon made war against Israel. And it was so that when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. And they said unto Jephthah, Come and be our captain, that we may fight with the children of Ammon. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, Did not ye hate me and expel me out of my father's house? And why are ye come unto me now when ye are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, Therefore we turned again to thee now, and thou mayest go with us and fight against the children of Ammon, and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, If ye bring me home again to fight against the children of Ammon, and the Lord deliver them before me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, The Lord be witness between us, if we do not so according to thy words. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and captain over them. And Jephthah uttered all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Let's pray. Father God, again, we do love you. We thank you for this glorious day, for this opportunity to gather here and to hear your truth. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. That we would not just hear your words, but they would travel to our heart. That they would take root and they would grow and they would change us. Lord, that we would see the world the way that you do. That we would not see the garbage and the trash, but that we would see people. And that we would love them the way that you love them. So God, please guide us and direct us today. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Jephthah, we have an unlikely leader. We have a man who was rejected by his own brethren, by his own people, yet God is going to raise him up. Again, chapter 10 closes with Israel and the children of Ammon gathering together to prepare for battle. And chapter 11 opens with Jephthah the Gileadite being introduced. And the very first thing that we understand about Jephthah, who is going to be the next judge of Israel, the one that will deliver Israel and provide through God's hand... God will provide through his hand uh, for Israel to again have peace and joy in their time. The first thing we see is that while he is a mighty man of valor, he's, in har- he's the son of an harlot. From this we understand that while Jephthah being strong and brave and a natural leader, all of that is overshadowed by the fact that he was born from a sinful act. Notice that God says nothing about Jephthah being evil and wicked. Even as it goes on and the part about him being surrounded by vain men, he didn't hire those men. They gathered to him. It says nothing about Jephthah doing wrong here. There is nothing said about his life other than this little piece of information. Now we know as we get into the story, there's more as, as he begins to lead. There's more that comes out about his character and we'll get into that. But at this point, God wants us to know and understand Jephthah is a mighty man of valor. He is a strong, a brave, courageous man who has done nothing wrong. We know that all men, because of the sins of Adam and Eve, we are all born with a sinful nature and we are all capable of doing good things and right things, but our overriding nature is to do evil. God doesn't show that in Jephthah's life, and neither does he negate it. But the men of Gilead, his own brothers, throw him out simply because 
of who his mother is. This reminds me of uh, Joseph. And there are many parallels between Joseph and Jephthah and uh, many of the other characters in the Bible. But uh, characters, many of the other historical figures in the Bible. But also in Joseph, is Joseph was cast out by his own brothers because he was the favored son. And ultimately, Joseph ends up saving his brothers, the entire nation of Israel. I feel, I see a lot of myself in this. Because it was in this very building when I was uh, 8, 9, 10 years old that I used to come with my mom and we would sit over in one of these corners and we would have dinner. This part was a cafe. And then after dinner time, about 7, 8 o'clock at night, we would travel back by where the bathroom is and she would sit at the bar and she would drink. And then we would migrate on back to where the apartment is and there was a pool table back there. And while she was drinking and carrying on with her friends, I was playing pool. Um, and then when it was time to go, it was me that told her it was time to go. And this is not... Uh, please understand, I love my mother. Um, this is This is just simple history. But then I would, on Sunday, with my grandmother and my great-grandmother, go to uh, one of the other churches in town that um, was full of family members, was full of people that should love me and care for me, that should want better for me. And I was judged just as Jephthah was. Nothing that I had done wrong, nothing that I had done uh, deserved any of this, but was judged. And it caused in me, just as it did in Jephthah, a desire to run away. It drove me away from this town. It drove me away uh, from the Lord. It drove me away from everything. The lesson for us to learn from this introduction of Jephthah is, Jephthah is that we need to make sure that we are not holding people responsible for things they're not they don't have any control over. <clears throat> Yesterday, as we, we came in for the tournament, and uh, we had some visitors from the community, uh, they were a little rough. And that's okay. Just because they were a little rough doesn't mean that they don't need the Lord. Mm-hmm. We have to look beyond... And, and again, this is not a rebuke. This is just... These things are coming out now because we are a brand new church. We are essentially an infant learning to walk in this world. That's why we're going through this Christianity 101 study, learning how to walk with God. And that's nothing against any of you because many of you have been saved for longer than I have and are farther along in your Christianity than I am. But as a group, we are learning how to walk. We are learning how uh, to serve in this community. And I think that's why God is bringing these things out to us right now is because we need to get off on the right foot. Uh, we talked about <clears throat> um, South Haven Baptist Church down in Tennessee. Uh, very large church. They, they see thousands on a Sunday morning. And when I went and visited, very beautiful church. But I got lost. Um... Because I only knew Rachel, and I only knew the people that she knew. 
for a very short time. The, the, the community there, the, the environment there didn't feel very welcoming. When I came to know the Lord in, in Southern Iowa and <clears throat> under the, the teaching of Pastor Pierce, uh, when I went to the first service, the first thing that I saw in that group that had literally just come together for the first time that day was family. I felt at home. I felt like people desired for me to be there. And that's what I want of this, this group. This is always, I want it to always be family. I don't care if we ever get any bigger. I just want us to always be family. Amen. So as we go through this and we, we look at this, we see in Jephthah that his family threw him out, that they discarded him. They thought that he was trash. And because of that, we have some per, very poor results. Jephthah fled. Jephthah, who already is known as a, a strong leader, a mighty man of valor, flees Israel and goes to live on his own. He left his home and found a place where he could dwell. And because he was a natural leader, without any direction, gathered unto him were vain men. We saw vain men with Abimelech as he went and hired them to go and kill his brothers. That word vain means empty. It means void. These men were empty of moral, moral character. Those men that followed Abimelech were empty of moral, moral character. And a poor leader used them to destroy. We don't see any of that in Jephthah. We just know that these men followed him. These men were empty of leadership. They required a leader. And yes, just like those of Abimelech, they were empty of moral, moral character, but Jephthah pointed them in a good direction. This is again a time where Jephthah's life mirrors my own. Because of the way that I had been treated as a youth, I took the first opportunity that I had to run. I ran from the church. I ran from this community. I moved two hours away just to get away. And then when God finally broke through, when God finally made me realize that he wanted me to pastor, I fought him for three years, knowing all the while that I was supposed to come here, but seeking every other door, window, nook, cranny, rat hole that I could find to crawl through, to still be doing the will of God, just not here. There's a missionary song. I've only ever heard it once. And the whole idea is this man praying to do whatever God wants him to do. But he says, God, please don't send me to Africa. And at the end, he ends up in Africa. That was me for three years. Jephthah spent a lot of time away from Israel. He'd shaken the dust from his feet to never look back. And understand that in this history, the only reason that Jephthah returned is because his brothers sought him. 
And don't forget that while we don't see Israel seeking God's direction on who their leaders should be, they had already returned back to serving God, and God was guiding and directing in every hand. And he was working in Jephthah's heart. Notice in verse number 9, as Jephthah and the elders of Gilead are communicating, that the word Lord is in all capital letters. It's the same way again in verse number 10. It's the same way again in verse number 12. Sorry, not verse number 12. We didn't read through verse number 12. Verse number 11. I'm sorry. I mistyped that. Anyway. That, that spelling, that uh, capitalization of the word Lord is the interpreters as they interpreted as they produced this King James Bible from the original text, it's them denoting the proper name of God. They are speaking of the Creator, the holy, righteous God that they are now have finally turned back to serving. And as God always does, He takes those that are thrown away and raises them up. Gilead had thrown Jephthah away to the trash. Thrown, them, thrown him away to the curb. And now God is going to bring him back and raise him up. The weakest, the last to become the first. As Brother Jesse was teaching on yesterday. This idea is, is I've, we should all know and understand this story, but... It makes me think, with all of the things that have happened in our world, the, uh, I don't want to get on a soapbox, but uh, the abortion rate, all of those things, the, the murdering of the Jews during the Holocaust, the, the, all the wars that have been done strictly because people don't like other people. It makes me wonder how many people have been killed and thrown away that would have done great things. <clears throat> I truly believe that we would have uh, cures for many of the cancers that we have now, but those people that were supposed to bring those cures were taken. God chose, <clears throat> I, I've also often wondered why God uses the men that he does in the Bible. There are hundreds of people that we are introduced throughout the scriptures to be examples for us. And the vast majority of them are wicked and evil men. <clears throat> Even David, who is called a friend of God, was a, an adulterer and a murderer. Paul the Apostle, who none of us would be saved without the writings of Paul, was a murderer. He persecuted the early church, destroyed it. Abraham lied and defrauded. Jacob lied and defrauded. But all of these men are held up before us as examples. So why does God choose these men 
truth is because that's the way we all are. There's none of us that are perfect. And we often compare ourselves to each other and think, well, I'm, I'm doing better than that person or I'm doing better than that person. You know, for Abby and Wyatt, they're <clears throat> in the same classes right now or many of the same classes right now in school. And, uh, and I know Josiah and his classmate see you. Uh, Miss Mindy, as we talked about uh, how Josiah was doing, um, talked about how they are comparing to each other. I got this on this test, and I got this on this test, and and they're for some it's it's uplifting, and for others it's degrading. We so often compare ourselves to each other, and forget that the only standard that we need to be compared to is God. Are we living the life that God wants us to live? The statement of coming short of the glory of God is not only that he is holy, but that he is the standard and creates the standard. The men of Jephthah threw Gilead, the men of Gilead threw Jephthah away as trash because he was conceived in an adulterous relationship. One that he had nothing to do with. Now we don't see that Jephthah's brothers went and confronted their father. That they tried to hold him responsible. They simply just didn't like Jephthah and didn't like the reason he was there and got rid of him. He was a reminder of pain and guilt. This is an example of getting bitter rather than better. But God, in his infinite humor, sends the men of Gilead to go and seek the man that they threw away. Notice in verse number 6, though, just how they seek him. And they said unto Jephthah, Come, be our captain, that we may fight with the children of Ammon. There's no apology. There's no seeking forgiveness. It's just... Come on, we need you. It makes me wonder if they didn't think that maybe he was still disposable. That if he died, he died. But Jeff is going to agree. And he's going to return and be the captain of the army. Of the army of Israel. And a new deliverer is born. For us, we need to understand that Often the life that we throw away because they appear to be less than desirable could be the very person that God wants to use to solve or provide for a need or a problem that we have. I have been blessed, oddly enough, far more by very, very poor people who didn't have the means than I have by people who were over and abundant with their means. God chooses to use us not because of our status or our stature, but because of our heart. Jephthah was willing to go back 
and serve and provide for Israel. So as we hopefully begin to see more and more visitors, please see the people. See someone in need of a Savior. I have, I don't know if I've told it here, I've told it to a few of you, but uh, when we were in Missouri, the pastor there was a very out-of-the-box thinker. And um, he wanted to do a live tomb presentation on the busiest intersection in town. Uh, we counted uh, roughly 10,000 cars in a three-day span that drove by that intersection. What he did was he built a tomb, stacked up logs and things, and covered it with uh, sod. We had a stone that we rolled in front of the door, and then we posted Roman guards. Men dressed up uh, as best we could. The first year it was just cardboard uh, armor that we were wearing. And we stood guard 24 hours a day from Wednesday afternoon all the way through Sunday morning, uh, resurrection Sunday morning. And we had so many people come and talk to us. In the background, there were three crosses that we had put up. And um, we had already done our tomb presentation the first year. And it had rained and been just horrible. And we were a couple of weeks later. And we couldn't, the ground was so muddy that we couldn't go tear everything down. It wasn't the church's property. It was a property that was being we were being allowed to use. It was actually for sale for $4 million dollars. Uh, but the owner was allowing us to use it. And uh, the kids and I, Rachel and I, had gone to the Chinese restaurant across the street. We were going there for lunch, and I looked across, and one of the crosses, oddly enough, the one, the middle one that Jesus would have been on, was leaning very precariously. And I was afraid it was going to fall over and hurt somebody because there were still people going and, and visiting, even though it was muddy and nasty. And So I sent them in to get lunch, and I walked over and did my best to prop the cross back up and get it straight so it wouldn't fall over. And as I'm doing all of that, I look up and I see three very large bikers in full leathers walking across the grass. And it's about a half a block from where they parked to where I was. And the whole time I'm thinking we just had this glorious time. The community really got behind this and they came and visited and brought us hot chocolate and brought us firewood and gloves because it was... That Sunday morning when we had our morning service out there, it was 27 degrees. And we had an, an outside sunrise, sunrise service and had 150, 200 people there. But I, I'm thinking, went through all of that, had no problems, and now I'm here by myself and I'm going to be confronted by these three very large bikers that do not, do not like me. I'd already decided before I could even... To determine their faces that they didn't like me and um as they got closer they waved and i could see some some of the patches on their vests and began to make out uh the three crosses and come to find out they were there they were a christian biker group that uh went around and prayed with people that were in the hospital and they had been on their way to kansas city to pray with a young lady preteen that was in the hospital with leukemia and uh, they were going to go pray over her and uh, they had found out on the way there that she had been released from the hospital and sent home so 
one of their wives had heard about the the tomb presentation and they detoured and were coming down and was just able to have a very wonderful conversation and rejoice in the Lord. But for the first part of that interaction, I was nervous because I misinterpreted what was going on. We can't be that way. Now, God gives us discernment. He gives us judgment, and he asks us to seek or to use that judgment to provide and protect for our families. But as we serve him, we have to just put our faith in him and understand that every interaction we have is an opportunity. It's designed by God for us to be that witness. So let's be that witness. Let's not be like the men of Gilead and throw the trash away just to have to go seek it again. Let's take it and take those people and treat them like they need to be treated. With love and mercy and grace. And help them to see the love of God.